Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up, and let's get started on today's podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Goodness Me, Australia's fastest growing online store for all your healthy pantry and snack essentials, made with real ingredients, absolutely no nasties, and delivered straight to your door. Head to goodnessme.com.au and use my code Leanne, that's L-E-A-N-N-E, for 15% off your Goodness Me order. Today's podcast episode is on how to gain muscle mass. It's a topic I get asked about all the time, so I've brought a real expert on today's episode to share all her wealth of knowledge and wisdom with you. Peter Carriage is one of Australia's leading sports dietitians who focuses on maximizing performance by providing simple, practical, and individualized advice. Peter has worked with a range of athletes, including Olympic gold medalists and premiership winning players from the Brisbane Broncos and also the Newcastle Knights. Peter specializes in performance nutrition, corporate presenting, and also individualized meal plans. In today's episode, we discuss how nutrition helps or hinders us to gain muscle, what a realistic time frame is to gain muscle in, other factors besides nutrition that impact our ability to gain muscle, whether the theory of newbie gains is a thing, how to minimize fat gain while gaining muscle, the timing of protein, why carbs matter, and Peter's final thoughts on gaining muscle mass. So grab a pen and paper because this episode has lots of practical tips. So let's dive right in. Welcome to the podcast, Peter. We are very excited to have you on the Leanne Ward Nutrition Show today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. And I think the topic of gaining muscle mass is something that's going to be very well listened to from our listeners and appreciated as well. So I'd love to start off with just by giving our listeners a bit of a background on who you are. Um, and so a little bit about yourself and how you got into this um, incredible area of sports nutrition, because it's very exciting. Yes. So I'm a sports dietitian. I've been based down south for 10 years but I started my career in Brisbane and now I'm back in Brisbane I've been lucky enough to work with lots of elite teams which is fabulous but I kind of fell into sports nutrition um, because I really wanted to do exercise science at university and my big brother told me I wasn't allowed to do that course by itself because there wasn't enough jobs so I went and ticked all the dual degrees <laughs> so I did um, exercise science so I'm a qualified exercise physiologist and uh, dietetics nutrition and dietetics and I was lucky enough to get a lot of experience in sports dietetics through uni and then I graduated working in a clinical position like yourself, and then also um, doing sports dietetics on the side. So, and I love it. I love it because it's it's practical. You have to know the evidence, but on a day to day with your athletes, you're often doing practical sports nutrition education things with them and so I love the practicality of it mm, and the perks are that you actually get to enjoy the game and see how the athletes are performing as well right <laughs> yeah so I think that's something that we don't speak about enough as sports dietitians that you have an extremely motivated client so I really appreciated as I got older that you learned how to refine your skills as just a dietitian working in private practice because you prescribe something to athletes and they've got a time frame and they actually implement it 
and you're monitoring their body composition every two weeks. So you actually get to really refine your nutrition prescription and see what works and what doesn't work. So yes, it's it, and it's really rewarding because of that. Hundred mm, percent. And so and as you mentioned, like they're super motivated because that's almost their job. And if they're not doing what you say, they're not going to get that edge. They're not going to get ahead. They're not going to get the performance benefits. Therefore, they're not going to progress in their job. So yeah, motivation on their end is you know I'm sure they listen to everything that you say and implement, 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 which is very different sometimes in like private practice or, or hospital type work. <laughs> yes, yes. And saying that they don't all listen, but <laughs> the motivated ones do. Um, and then you get to, got to find, you, I mean, you can relate it to performance and often, honestly, if they're not achieving their results, then someone else steps in and threatens their contract. So um, they eventually listen. They quickly find that motivation. <laughs> Blackmail. So you're back in Brisbane, um, which, let's be honest, during 2021 is not a bad place to be during, you know, multiple lockdowns all around Australia. So Brisbane's a place to be. Whereabouts are you currently working and what sort of teams are you working with or athletes at the moment? Yes. So I've just started private practice again at Start Training in Stafford, which is great to see some face-to-face. I have to admit most of my referrals still come from New South Wales and Victoria and all around Australia, which is lovely um, to still see clients from down south Um, and then I'm working with Paddle Australia and I still work with New South Wales Rugby League and the Gillaroos which is the national rugby league women's team in Australia so little bits of consulting here and there with sports teams still which I love. Yeah wonderful a very diverse um, I guess work range as well so you don't get don't get bored (laughs) no definitely not (laughs) all right peter well let's start with the basics when it comes to muscle mass um as i said to you before the podcast we've had a great um exercise physiologist as well talking about sort of the exercise component of how to gain muscle so we'll purely just focus mostly on sort of the nutrition concepts so when it comes to nutrition how does um i guess good or correct nutrition help or hinder us when it comes to gaining muscle so we've got to think of nutrition as it, it partners your training. So on the field, it partners your training adaptation to get fitter and in the gym, it partners your training to increase your muscle mass. So it you can definitely see improvements if you're training correctly, which you've obviously covered. However, if you get your nutrition right, you optimize the training adaptations so you get stronger faster or you gain more muscle mass faster or more efficiently. So that's where nutrition is really, really pivotal when it comes to gaining muscle mass. Um, and you can do one without the other, but just it's going to take a really, really, really long time and you're not going to be helping your body adapt but also recover from the resistance training that you're putting it through Mm, so it's going to take a lot longer to get the results you're after if you're just focusing on a instead of a and b together correct correct so i think in sport you we're really seeing this transition that nutrition partners all the other aspects of training so it needs to be included in every aspect of professional sport because it, it really helps at all levels. Mm, not just the performance on the field, but the recovery and even things like injury and rehab. Um, we're seeing nutri- you know great nutrition research in terms of those areas as well, aren't we? Yeah, really important in rehab. That's one of probably the biggest areas as a sports dietitian working with teams where you have a role. Because if you think about it, if you've got a million dollar athlete on the sideline, and I've previously worked uh, at Manly Seagulls where there was a million dollar athlete was injured a little bit when I was there and if you think about it if you can bring them back on the field one to two weeks earlier 
then you're having a huge impact on the team's performance. So rehab, which the the nutrition strategies we're going to talk about today around muscle mass uh, gains and uh, around resistance training and how to optimize your nutrition applies heavily to rehab and injury as well. I mean, talking about muscle mass, you mentioned that, you know, it can take quite a long time if we're not really doing things optimally. But what is a realistic time frame? Say if we are doing things well from a training and a nutrition perspective, what is a realistic time frame to actively put on some muscle mass? Because honestly, I feel like it's taken me years to achieve like the smallest gains from a muscle mass perspective. Um, is it different from, you know, I feel like men kind of put on muscle mass easier than what women do. Is that true? Or is that sort of something that I tell myself? Is it a bit in my head? No. No, no, it is definitely true. And there's actually a little bit of lack of research in this area, Leanne. So the numbers that we work on, and this is for elite athletes. So once again, that's my background, but we, the maximum we like to see elite athletes put on in a year is around that six to eight kilos. And you see those really big muscle mass gains in your younger athletes that are just, you know, 17 to 19 years of age, transitioning to a full-time training load, you know, very good. And they've got naturally high testosterone levels and some of them would surpass that amount of muscle mass in a year quite easily if their genetics allow it but we always aim for a maximum of that because of then risk of injury so even for the general population if they're also want to be able to play you know touch football on a weekend or go for runs you don't want to have really quick muscle mass gains of over 10 kilos because it does put a lot of pressure on their joints um, and the physios definitely just don't like that. But for women, there is a lack of data. Uh, there's some research. So Alan Aragon has report like has some statistics around the rate of muscle mass gain, and he says for women you can half it. I would say you can definitely. It's it's less than half. Mm. The most I have ever seen a female athlete gain in 12 months is just over three kilos of muscle mass. So if you think of the in men, I can comfortably achieve six to eight. That's definitely not half. And that is with a female athlete that's genetically blessed and a full-time professional athlete. Mm. So realistically, what a female would achieve is more around that one to one and a half kilos of muscle mass gain in a year. Mm. So not much, but I suppose as a percentage of our bodies, like we're smaller, to start with so it still looks like a lot but we just don't have testosterone Leanne so it is a lot harder for us to gain muscle mass yeah it's not fair is it <laughs> it isn't fair but also it just when when you actually know the numbers and then you hear women saying I don't want to do weights because I don't want to bulk up I'm like mm. literally you can't <laughs> like literally it is so hard to gain muscle mass so yeah so they're the rough rough achievable muscle mass targets yeah and that's you're we're talking pure lean muscle mass aren't we not you know just scale weight pure lean muscle mass yeah I get a lot of messages from women who say you know I've been training really hard and I've been trying to eat healthy and I put on like three kilos in the scale what the heck like is this muscle mass and I'm like mm, like in eight weeks if you put on three kilos that that's that's not muscle that's not three kilos of muscle mass so I think that's really important to have that perspective from the numbers um if that's pure muscle mass and we will talk about um in a second you know what a lot of muscle mass comes with some fat gain as well. So, yeah. And so even for the men, is that six to eight kilos of pure muscle mass, is it? Yes, it is. And so we can yeah, well. uh, 
we monitor that because we're always doing like DEXs but also skin fold data. So you can see, you know, you know, their skin folds, for example, might be their subcutaneous body fat will stay stable, but their weight will go up, which indicates a six to eight kilos of lean muscle mass gain. Um, and similar for the for the women. And there's definitely some evidence that suggests, you know, you will see in the first year, you're more likely to have more muscle mass gains your first year of training. And then it slows down as we train there after and also mm-hmm. as we get older of course everything becomes a little bit harder mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah so this I guess this concept of how people can gain weight a little bit easier in the first sort of year or so that's sort of something that I guess like the fitness industry has termed like these newbie gains so where people are newer to training or they've taken like an extended period off training these the muscle gain and the adaptations are a lot easier um, in that first sort of six to 12 months of training isn't it so you'll gain muscle easier and faster if you're new or if you've had an extended period off versus if you're someone who's been training say like wait for five years or something it's a lot easier to do as a newbie than it is to do as someone who's who's quite seasoned is that right yeah that's correct and you think about that just from a really simple form of like you're really shocking your body going back to resistance training and upping the ante so your body will respond I think in my experience with all types of clients that when you have a big change in training you get good results straight away because your body you know, is kind of shocked into reacting. But, yes, that first year there's much higher uh, gains um, seen, especially in males versus women. And then from a, I guess, lifestyle perspective, so we, we obviously know that nutrition is important, exercise is important. Are there other factors that impact our ability to gain muscle? Like if we're super stressed or we're not sleeping or we're constantly, um, I guess, sick or something like that, are all those sorts of things going to impact our ability to gain some muscle mass as well? Or is it purely like the biggest bang for our buck is going to be that nutrition and that exercise component? So the biggest bang for your buck is definitely nutrition and the exercise component and getting the exercise component correct and then supporting it with the correct nutrition. In saying that, the biggest variation is purely genetics. Like I work with mostly league and rugby background sports and we have people with genetic backgrounds, more of the Islander nations, they can walk past the gym and put on three kilos of muscle mass without lifting a weight. (laughs) So I think that's a cool area moving forward where we will be able to, you know, individualise programs more and more and the professional sport is, whereas those athletes actually need to probably, they get to do less weights because they they literally respond so well. So we have like these responders and non-responders to resistance training. So genetics and then obviously your sex impacts it a lot because of the hormones that we have. So we don't have the testosterone. And then if you're inflamed, so if you are, have inflammation or even acute inflammation so uh, for example a knee injury and you've got acute inflammation that switches off the ability for the muscle fibers to fire around it so you're not going to achieve muscle mass growth even if you are training it so inflammation negatively impacts your muscle mass growth and inadequate recovery and sleep also negatively impacts it To what degree, I don't think we can put a number on it exactly, but overnight is when you do all of your repair and recovery and when your muscles grow. So for young adolescents that are trying to build muscle mass, if they're not getting adequate sleep, 
then they really struggle to to recover and build muscle mass. So it's really thinking about it from that lifestyle perspective overall, not just, um, you know, tick column A, tick column B, all right, done, out of the gym, um, get my post-workout in and then we're done. <laughs> yeah, not not that. you got to think of it too as we delve into the nutrition side of things. It's very much you got to think about what you're doing across a whole day if you're really trying to optimise your muscle mass gains. And then when it comes to actively gaining muscle mass, is it easier in a calorie surplus than a calorie deficit? So for our listeners at home, is it easier to gain muscle if you're eating more than your body needs versus in a calorie deficit, which so many people are trying to lose body fat and gain muscle mass at the same time, but it's just, it's quite difficult to do, isn't it? Oh, it's basically impossible. So you need to be in an energy surplus to build muscle mass because you need energy to lay down the additional muscle fibers, which makes sense when you kind of say it out loud like that. I hope it makes sense anyway. So yes, you need to be in energy surplus because you need some spare energy to, to build your muscle, grow more muscle fibers. And I think of it, the way I always describe it is to build muscle mass is number one, you need to be lifting heavier and heavier weights because you need that stimulus from the brain to the bicep to say this idiot is going to continually try and lift heavier items we need to lay down more muscle fibers so they can continue to do that and then you need the extra energy so you need energy surplus to have some energy left over to be able to create those additional muscle fibers so trying to be in an energy deficit and build muscle mass is counterintuitive. And I think when you think about that logically, you're trying to grow something, then it kind of makes sense. You can gain muscle mass and lose body fat at the same time. And I have achieved this with many clients and athletes by through periodized nutrition, which is a term used a lot in sports dietetics. However, it is much easier to do that with athletes that are training full-time. So it is a lot easier to achieve when athletes are training, like people are training a lot basically. Um, so if you're only going to the gym three times a week, then, yeah, that's going to be very, very difficult to achieve. So you probably need to separate your goal of building muscle mass from your goal of losing some body fat and do these at two separate times. Mm. Definitely. I think that's important to hear from someone who's very highly regarded and respected such as yourself. Cause I think I've said it multiple times in the podcast and I still get people messaging me being like, but like, I, I, that's all I want to do. I don't want to gain fat and I just want to gain muscle mass. And I don't think people can really appreciate how difficult that is or how long that will take. I mean, if you look at a lot of, even just take the sport of say bodybuilding or, you know, the ladies who do bikini competitions, that sort of thing, they go through, you know, periods of time where they're actively, you know, gaining and putting on muscle mass and then they're stripping back and they're sort of just working to maintain the muscle mass they've got and then they're cutting back on their nutrition in a deficit to drop that additional body fat and they do it through that sort of cycle cycle you know throughout the year don't they yes absolutely and I think the best example is I'm sure you've had lots of clients Leanne that that do eight-week challenges which should be illegal <laughs> um, and they get a DEXA but at the start and at the end mm-hmm. and through multiple gym companies and I have so many clients that come in and go, oh, my goodness, I, everything's gone haywire. Look at how much muscle mass I've lost. I'm like, so even they lose body fat, but they also always lose a lot of muscle mass, which then is 
has a negative impact on their metabolism and is often not what they wanted to achieve. So even to just trying to lose body fat and maintain muscle mass is extremely difficult to do. So and requires a very specific nutrition plan, a great training plan, etc. So I think people when they say they want to lose body fat and gain muscle mass it, it, like to a dietitian, it's just like, oh, I don't think you realize how physiologically difficult that is. Yes, I have seen it done, but it's um, it's been a lot of hard work by the client and they need to absolutely nail everything and they need to be training a lot. So if you want to lose body fat and gain muscle mass, I think you need to be aiming for losing body fat and maintaining muscle mass. And that is like your best case scenario and absolutely working one-on-one with someone like yourself like a sports dietitian because it's just not something that the average sort of person is going to know how to do um and it's not something that the average you know pt in the gym is even going to know how to do either is it yeah absolutely not please don't take nutrition advice from pts (laughs) so how do you talk to i guess your athletes and your clients about managing fat gain with muscle gain because i think there's a lot of i guess fear particularly from women i feel like you know a lot of men are okay with this they can sort of i don't know maybe they don't have the sort of body image issues that women tend to have but i feel like there is a lot of sort of fear around you know gaining fat with muscle gain as well so a lot of people want to obviously minimize that fat gain but without compromising that muscle growth how do you i guess manage this from a mental health perspective or how how do you have these conversations with your clients particularly your female your female athletes yeah great question i think i just explain that your what your body needs to gain muscle mass so as we've discussed you know it needs to be an energy surplus and then we we look down at the breakdown of the macronutrients across the day and around their training but then you explain that your body can't be told and doesn't understand that it's being told to only put on one type of tissue you know so it needs surplus energy to lay down additional muscle fibers and muscle mass but then with that little bit of surplus energy it's probably going to lay down a little bit of extra body fat as well but what we need to do then is just progress the muscle mass gain slowly so allow a little bit of increased muscle mass which will come with just a tiny bit of extra body fat and then you might maintain that for a little bit and then the the body fat disappears um and it doesn't help that i'm describing that using my hands on a podcast sorry (laughs) leanne but and then you you do a little maintenance phase and then go again Um, the other thing i think a lot of sports dietitians do is is do body composition so it just gives clients females and males the peace of mind that they are building muscle mass and they can see that the the body fat gains are minimal definitely and are your two sort of favorite body composition methods of assessment um obviously skin folds if you're seeing someone face to face or dexa scans if perhaps you're doing things online where you don't have access to that client would you say dexa scans and and skin folds are two of the best ways to measure body composition absolutely they're both i mean gold standard and skin folds i think is great if you're seeing them more frequently because you can and that's what we use with athletes. So we can, when we ask them to change their diet, we can show them very quickly, you can see changes within two weeks that it's working. And your DEXs, I would always recommend that they seek, ask a professional on how to have them tested so it minimizes error. Um, but then also it's really important that they have a professional read them because sometimes they read the numbers and become quite overwhelmed or sad about their results when how I would read them would be that they have achieved really positive gains. And with DEXs, I think general population have these 
crazy percentages that they're all after for whatever reason, but then also they expect these huge gains and huge changes when our bodies just don't change quickly as we've already discussed, like the the muscle mass gains are so slow. So uh, understanding that the changes you will see on a DEXA are quite small but as far as overall uh, goals or like what you're actually aiming for, like 500 grams of muscle mass gain is huge for a 40-year-old woman to achieve in three to six months so understanding that before they get tested I think is really important so they don't think that these reports are going to show you know five percent body fat loss and three kilos of muscle mass gain and I think a lot of that comes back to like the accuracy of the places who are offering these things I've seen a lot of you know gym-based challenges offer you know the equivalent of some sort of body composition analysis assessment with it you know the machine you hold the electrodes it does a fancy printout you know and I've seen I remember when I did my skin bolt training um there was a machine there and we were, we were encouraged to jump on and off throughout the day just through multiple periods just to measure how inaccurate it is if you're not measuring under the same conditions and there was one person there who you know quote-unquote gained or lost like 10% body fat or something in the one day because we all did it fasted first thing in the morning then we did it after we'd had a morning coffee then we did it after lunch then we all went out and played some touch football in the sun and we're a bit dehydrated so redid it again and so really if we're not measuring under the same conditions and I see a lot of these gym challenges where they're like come in any time of the day and get your you know your um, body composition analysis assessment and it's like if you you're going in at 4 p.m after you've been eating and drinking and training and then doing that it's just not accurate is it like it's not going to give you an accurate representation of no. the change over time. It should really be done very first thing in the morning before you eat, before you drink, after you avoid and before you train, shouldn't it? Yes, absolutely. And you've nailed it on the head. So well, like we've already said there's a huge inaccuracy with the measurements of those challenges and then we know that the changes that we actually are looking for are quite small. So you add in the inaccuracies of the BIA machines or the DEX has just done it at any random time and uh, Uh, especially in Sydney, I was dealing with a lot of mental health problems from clients doing these challenges and being really disappointed with their results. And I couldn't even say if they actually did have positive results because the the data they were basing it on was so random. Mm. So I think as far as the mental health and expectations of people's body composition goals, I think these challenges are, are quite damaging. Not to mention metabolically quite damaging long term if you're going to, you know, really, really quickly, you know, lose 10 kilos in an eight-week challenge or something because it's just not sustainable and so many people just put it straight back on again as soon as the challenge is done because they can't cut out all of those foods forever or train twice a day at that high intensity um, forever because they're just exhausted at the end of the challenge. Exactly. So they they used to always come see me where they've rebounded, their weight's gone up or – they were just so scared to eat because they didn't want their weight to go back. They lost muscle mass, they lost body fat, and they were extremely disheartened. And it was really sad. It was really sad. I would see clients all the time after a challenge and be picking up the pieces. And yeah, yeah, it's it's really disheartening that people continue to buy into these things and be fed unrealistic results and not warned about the long-term impact to their metabolism, as you said. Mm. But anyway, we digress. Um it's it's um it's it's an area that unfortunately isn't controlled by any governing bodies but dietitians are here to pick up the pieces if you need them to be <laughs> wonderful 
I'm interrupting this podcast to bring you a healthy break. On the Goodness Me shop, find thousands of real wholesome food products that are all nutritionist approved. Goodness Me shop has your Christmas shopping sorted with their one-off boxes. Shop the festive box, the summer snack box, and the pamper box now to give your family and friends the perfect gift just in time for Christmas. See why Goodness Me has over 60,000 customers that rave about them with their exclusive 15% offer for all my listeners. Head to goodnessme.com.au and use the code Leanne, that's L-E-A-N-N-E, for 15% off. Goodness Me believes that everyone deserves to eat real food that makes them feel good. So come and explore their range today. And I guess thinking again about muscle mass, I think the big question on everyone's lips is protein, Peter, how much protein? So we're really a protein obsessed world. I mean, I saw what I see the other day, like protein chips or something in the supermarket or like protein chocolate. And I was like, oh, for God's sake, let chocolate be chocolate or let chips be chips. We don't have to add protein to it. So we're obsessed with protein. But I think, you know, I think most people understand to grow muscle mass, you need to eat protein. But what does that look like for the average everyday athlete? Um, If we can put that into some sort of numbers or percentages or something like that as a rough guide for the average person like you or I just trying to, you know, hit the gym and gain some muscle mass. What are we talking in terms of protein? Because I've seen a lot of, you know, trainers in the gym prescribing their small female like 180 grams of protein a day and I'm like god like how like I couldn't even get that in and I'm nearly six foot one exactly. <laughs> I would struggle to eat that much protein in a day oh dear look protein as far as the the food commercial food I should say it's the new gluten-free do you remember 10 years ago everything was gluten-free and then it went to all everything was organic or raw <laughs> yeah. Uh, or paleo and now it's protein so it's just the new I suppose um, commercial food marketing is high protein but yes it does my head in no we do not need protein added to our cheese and chocolate Um, so the numbers so the general like non-training recommendations is you know around that 0.8 grams per kilo so I think that's important to understand when you talk about muscle mass gaining and that it is genuinely increasing from that 0.8 grams per kilo so the numbers I work on is usually 1.2 to 1.4 grams per kilo and then you see it increase if you are starting a new training program then you have elevated requirements for the first six to eight weeks and this is someone that as you previously alluded to like they haven't ever done a resistance training or they've had a long time off and then returned and it, it will go up for to that 1.4 to 1.8 grams per kilo for the first six to eight weeks and then it drops back to 1.2 to 1.4 grams per kilo so they're the numbers I work off there's been research like a huge meta-analysis done of all of the resistance training in grams per kilo research and they found that anything over and above 1.6 grams per kilo did not result in any increased fat-free mass gains. So that 1.6 is really the upper limit for most people trying to build muscle mass. Some people might go over that, um, but then that just turns into extra energy, as you and I know. And then the number I hear mostly thrown around in the gym is two grams per kilo. Mm. So yes, there may be an outlier that requires two grams per kilo, um, but that is definitely the minority, and that is a lot of protein. And the biggest error I see is is females being prescribed these crazy protein requirements because that is just transfers into additional energy and therefore they they might gain a little bit of extra body fat. So that 1.2 
to 1.4 is adequate. And are we talking pure per kilo of body weight? So if somebody was seven kilos, it'd be like 70 kilos by 1.4. Um, how does that change if you've got an individual in a larger body? So say, for example, somebody was just try- starting a new strength-based training program with their trainer um, and they're, say, 150 kilos. Would we adjust that to a healthier weight range for them or would you then go sort of like 150 kilos by 1.4 grams of protein? Because that seems like quite a lot, doesn't it? It does. So you you can adjust that down to, I suppose, what the weight that they're they're targeted for. The the interesting thing there is that they're going to lose a lot of muscle mass if they lose weight anyway, if you're dealing with people in larger bodies, because if they lose a lot of body fat, then they don't need as much muscle mass to carry it around. So you kind of you do kind of want to correct the protein for their their target to weight but they're still probably going to be on the higher amounts of protein versus someone that is you know 70 kilos and those requirements we're talking sort of 1.2 to 1.4 grams a kilo is that the same for men and women because you mentioned you know men gain so much easier they have testosterone in their favor um is that the same for sort of age and and gender specific or is it a little bit more for men or a little bit more for women because you know we just need a little bit more to gain muscle mass or is that pretty a pretty general recommendation for most people so that is the numbers that i work off for both males and females Mm -hmm. what i find is that females are often consuming well over that um, mm-hmm. which is, is then you know being turned into just excess energy uh, but and also because it is weight so it's grams per kilogram so I suppose what that looks like for a male versus female as far as a day on a plate is very different because it is per kilogram so female that's why females are often over consuming because they're, they're not cal- doing calculations based on you know 60 kilos or 70 kilos of 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 their body weight so to speak um in saying that leanne very little of this research is done on females Mm. so even so those numbers that i told you about you know i've seen as high as 3.2 kilos of lean muscle mass they're like i I swear to god i've got the only data that exists or you know tracking it and i've tracked that was with my female athletes that I tracked over seven years, you know, to see and analysed all of them to see what the biggest gain was. So I'm sure there is lots of data for females at the individual level, but females are not researched as much when it comes to muscle mass gains and resistance training. So watch this space. I'm really hoping that we'll have more accurate and specific information around that for females in the near future. Um, but from as far as applying those numbers to clients, it works. Yeah, no, I agree. Definitely the females in the sports nutrition space, um, the research is absolutely lacking and even just things, simple things like menstruation, which I had Andrew on the podcast talking about a couple of weeks ago as well. Like there's just a huge gap in the literature and the research when it comes to females and sports nutrition. So it is exciting to be working in this space and um, to sort of be hearing some of this new research, but I do feel like it's still, you know, quite a few years away, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is because, yeah, it's a little bit harder. But also you have to think about it as far as resistance training regularly. It's really only like since I've been in the profession, when I started out, I was the only female in the gym on the squat rack, you know, and now all of my athletes post pictures of themselves daily in the gym lifting, you know, heavy weights, which is just amazing and I love to see so the transition we've seen just in the last five years has been huge so there's more athletes that are able to be researched in this area 
there's more athletes to be able to collect data on. So the research will follow and I think it will come out quite quickly over the next five to 10 years because the rate of female athletes and professional female sports, as we've all seen in the last five years, has just exploded, which is super exciting. Mm -hmm. And we will definitely be getting you back on the podcast more when some of that (laughs) new research does come to life. (laughs) I can't wait. I've been begging people. There was so many gaps when I started with Rugby Sevens and I put it out for so many people. I'm like, please, I need research in this area, research in this area. And they'd go, you do it. I'm like, I don't have time. But there was just so many gaps in the data. It It was very frustrating, but I just had to I just had to trial and error on the poor girls until I figured it out. We've obviously got some some great trial and error studies because you, you're doing all the right things. So <laughs> I guess when it comes to protein, we've talked about the numbers. Um, I think the other important concept with protein and muscle uh, gains is the timing, isn't it? So um, I'm assuming things like intermittent fasting, if your goal is to actively gain some muscle mass, is just kind of defeating the purpose. Like we shouldn't be fasting if we're actively trying to gain muscle mass because the research tells us that even distribution of protein throughout the day is what's important for um, that muscle protein synthesis. Is that correct? Correct. And this is an area I'm super passionate about. Um, and I know you're a sports dietitian, so we even created a fact sheet just on this topic for SDA, Sports Dietetics Association, this year, because it's actually the concept that as sports dietitians and dietitians working with general population, we actually struggle to explain it to clients and athletes the most because everyone when we say protein they think of just meat mm-hmm. or uh, protein powder when you and I know that protein comes from multiple different sources um, so taking that I suppose answering the question taking a step back before I get into the protein distribution which I love talking about and I could talk about for like 20 minutes is I think Number one thing you've got to get right is you you do have to be in that energy surplus and then the total amount of protein across the day needs to be correct. So if you get the distribution correct, however, you're not meeting your total protein requirements across the day, then that's not going to help you achieve your goal of muscle mass gains. Mm -hmm. So you go positive energy balance, total protein intake, the type, so good quality protein sources, which are... Your, your meat products, your animal products, eggs, dairy seem to be the best or then a whey protein if you need that. And then lastly is the timing. So the t- timing after training. And initially we always used to talk about this 30-minute window, but they're finding that that window is a little bit bigger, so 30 to 60 minutes. However, I find that if you don't get a good, the correct amount of protein in reasonably quickly afterwards, Uh, what happens is you get a real crash, like you get a real crash in blood sugar levels and people tend to overeat around that two to three hour post a hard gym session, which I'm sure you've tested on yourself sometimes. Like if you're really busy and do a tough gym session and you don't manage to eat, then you run away, you have this real crash and then you tend to overeat later on, which isn't conducive to helping your body composition goals. So it kind of goes total protein, the type of protein, and then the timing and distribution across the day. And as you already said, you know, we want to be aiming for minimum four hits, I call them, of protein across the day. And you think about that, that means we need to include some protein sources at breakfast, lunch, afternoon tea or after training, need to have a good amount, that 20 to 25 grams of protein and then dinner. Whereas typically we all hit our total protein requirements, but our distribution is only, we've only getting protein in at lunch and dinner. Mm. So that distribution is is really important. And that's where 
it's we need to educate athletes and clients of how to improve that protein distribution across the day mm-hmm. and absolutely it doesn't have to come from a protein powder does it like I no. see I've seen people sip like women and men in the gym like while they're doing their workouts sipping on um, like protein powder and then downing another shake as they're walking out of the gym <laughs> and I'm like bro just go home and eat some eat some actual real food you don't have to you don't have to always get that protein powder in so again you can actively gain muscle mass through food we don't have to use protein powder but for some people it can be a really I just guess a convenient um option can't it convenient absolutely and once again talking about the difference between males and females Leanne I actually try and avoid protein powders at all costs for females because a they don't have the energy budget for it so you Mm. know throwing in extra 20 grams of protein that's still like 540 kilojoules it's stupid that I know that off the top of my head um of energy whereas if you throw that in and it doesn't have the nutrients and micronutrients that we need to hit we need to hit our calcium and our you know selenium and all these other things so I've always tried to get my female athletes and clients to recover through food so they meet their calcium requirements and their micronutrients and fiber requirements so um, you know making protein balls to use as recovery or trying to have you know have timing lunch so it's after training so definitely food first um, should always be considered and definitely more so for females than males whereas males have a much bigger energy budget so sometimes they actually need to add in that protein shake to help them meet their energy needs um, but definitely can be achieved through food and it's not all just about protein is it i mean i know we're a protein obsessed nation but carbs are important too for muscle growth aren't they how do carbs i guess help or hinder um, adequate muscle growth Yes. So carbohydrates, if you think about it, if you are training in a fasted state, so your body needs energy to be able to lay down those muscle fibers during the session. So the way I describe it to when I'm talking to young developmental athletes, especially you think young male developmental athletes that all really, really want to gain muscle mass, I say, so if you haven't eaten since 11 o'clock and you then have training at four o'clock, and you then go into the gym, where is your body going to access energy to get through that gym session, let alone build muscle mass? The, you haven't provided it with any carbohydrates or glucose to use to get through that session. So your body will have to break down muscle fibers or muscle to access some energy. So you actually straight away Um, doing the complete opposite to what you want to do by being in the gym. So ideally we go into our resistance training fueled and with carbohydrates on board that results in a better quality training session but then also there is circulating glucose for your body to utilize to turn that energy into those muscle fibers or muscle mass that you want to build. So the timing and adequate carbohydrates is really important and the fasting fat at the moment is is definitely not helping people achieve the goals they're after Mm, so we're going to train and perform better in the gym um with some carbs on board but also carbs are important post-workout as well aren't they everyone you know wants to down their protein shake as they're leaving the gym but carbohydrates are important for recovery um and muscle growth as well aren't they absolutely so the way i describe that i've got all these analogies you must think i'm crazy but i've had to figure out these analogies so if you think 15 year old boys somehow makes sense to them so the way I describe that is that if you've actually trained hard, I mean, there's lots of different sessions and different types of loading and different ways to, to train. But if you've trained in t- intense, had an intense training session or trained quite hard in the gym and you're going for like those hypertrophy type sessions, then 
your the glucose you've put in and then we also store some energy in our muscles as glycogen if that's somewhat depleted the faster we replace those glycogen or carbohydrate stores in our muscles means the less sore we're going to be so the sooner we get some carbohydrates into our muscle stores which is the stores that our body actually likes to to use we actually use up our our glycogen stores in our muscles quite quickly then the sooner we replace those then the less sore you will be the following day so it has a really important role in that recovery process so at the elite level as after a really tough session especially on field session where you're still you're still growing muscle mass if you're doing you know endurance running or sprint sessions or you still have to build muscle mass to actually be able to do any of your training or sport better as far as the recovery process we go fluid and carbohydrates first and then protein um, so yeah, it, it's interesting that general population just think about the protein, but it is a little bit more complicated than that. Mm, well, ladies are trying to, you know, you know, spending all this money on a trainer and going to the gym three, four, five times a week, yet we're following these low carb diets and trying to diet, 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 um, to drop the body fat thinking, you know, thinking we're doing the right thing, but we're doing a disservice to ourselves and almost wasting our time in the gym. If we're constantly just doing low carb, low calorie. Correct. And, uh, there's lots of other things going on, which I know you've covered with other, other guests, but yeah, I, I think, um, we underestimate how much more energy we do burn when this training session is of of a quality training session when we're well fueled. Mm, absolutely. And then Peter, any final thoughts or words of wisdom when it comes to um, gaining muscle mass, which seems to be the goal for many people these days, which I love, um, but anything else you think um, that we haven't sort of discussed or any words of wisdom um, to leave our listeners with? I think you need to try and focus or just review what you're eating around those training sessions that are specifically you are training to build muscle mass so I think if you can improve your nutrition before and after those sessions then you're going to see better results physically the other thing that we didn't touch on is that we we did talk about like the amount of protein but when it comes to the type of protein we at the elite level we're looking for uh, the amount of leucine, which is an amino acid. Mm -hmm. So that's something that if you are using a protein powder, it's important to actually make sure it's got a high leucine content. And leucine is also in a lot of our foods, so our quality foods as well, as I said, like dairy, meat products, um, because that actually triggers, it stimulates muscle synthesis. Um, and there's been lots of research done on that by Stu Phillips, who is like a guru of muscle synthesis, and I love reading his articles. So there's little things like that that you can look into, and I suppose that's what we do as a sports dietitian is we know all those little nuances and, and, and targets that we're, that we're aiming for in food and in supplements, which is makes it a real interesting niche area that I love. Um, but also just be realistic with your goals. I think, and that's really worth actually speaking to your trainer or a strength and conditioner or your dietitian or someone that is very knowledgeable in that area and setting realistic target targets for your muscle mass gains that you're after. And then you're more likely to obviously be successful. But I think that's where first and foremost people go wrong is they set themselves up for these ridiculous muscle mass gain targets and they're just unachievable. As I said, like what the elite athletes are achieving is is probably nowhere near what the target's general population is setting themselves. So understanding that and asking your health professional that you're working with 
around those goals and targets, I think is going to set you up for success. Mm, Absolutely. And really, not trying to compare ourselves to others, right? Because I remember I used to look at sort of the the much um, sort of shorter girls in the gym, more that powerlifting type body type and be like, oh, I want to live like that. And my trainer would just be like, like you'll never lift the kind of weight that they can lift because their levers are so much shorter yes. um, and I'm nearly six foot one. They're like, you're just not going to get in that squat rack and like do 120 kilos like that girl because you're just built differently genetically. And I'm like, okay, cool. So it's important to have trainers who understand that and as you said, have those realistic goals and not compare ourselves to people that we see on Instagram or our favorite, you know, athletes or that sort of thing, because we really are so different. And just because someone else can do it doesn't mean that we're kind of built or designed or our body could do that sort of thing as efficiently as perhaps somebody else, because genetics does play a large role in even something simple like gaining muscle mass. Oh, huge role. And that's where it's important to just appreciate what your body can do and what your genetics have laid down for you. Um, So have those conversations with someone as you did that actually understands and can see what and that's it you're you're tall and thin so you're always got you're fighting your genetics to build muscle mass and which is why you took you so long to do it and it's the same with male athletes that are tall and thin and you know I want to play rugby league I'm like okay this is this is going to be really hard work so sometimes building muscle mass what people don't realize it is just as hard work if not harder work for some people that have genetics that do not predispose them to having high amounts of muscle mass to some people that, you know, to losing body fat. So I think I see that a lot and can empathise with athletes around that a lot um, in the elite level and they really struggle and they don't get the support because they just get, you know, people scoff at them and go, oh, yeah, you know, really hard and you've got to eat more. But it, it's it's really quite difficult for some of these athletes to build their muscle mass and yourself included because you're fighting your genetic predisposition. Um, so yeah, I don't think that's well understood and I don't think that's well empathized by many people either. Mm, and for athletes, especially with high training loads, it tends to dampen down your appetite. So when you're telling someone you need to eat double what you're eating, but they're training so hard that they never feel hungry. It's actually, it's quite difficult to do, isn't it? Very difficult. Yeah. Particularly for those young, leaner athletes who are training a hell of a lot. So No, they really struggle. Some good food for thought. All right, Peter. Well, I'm sure you're going to have people and listeners, you know, trying to knock down your door, trying to get in with a consultation for you. So can you please let our listeners know if you're currently taking clients, where they can reach out to you and um, if you've got social media or website that they can follow or reach out to you um, via? I do. I do have uh, Instagram. Uh, Gosh, I don't remember. I think it's just Peter Carriage underscore dietitian. Um, And I have got a website, petercarriage.com. So on there you can see my clinic and I do online as well as face-to-face now in Brisbane. I do tend to book out not because I'm overly popular but just because I I don't have as many spaces as I would like because I'm I do majority consulting to sports teams I suppose Mm -hmm. um but there is I'm definitely still taking bookings in the new year and if listeners are listening from um I don't know Paris or somewhere fancy like um California do you take um worldwide consultations or are you just seeing clients um in Australia at the moment no I do I actually had a US rugby sevens athlete contact me this week so yes um, and I've got a few colleagues that work overseas with different teams and they 
get their clients to book in with me, so which is lovely. So no, I do do see international clients as well. Wonderful, good for our listeners to know. And I'll include all your details in our show notes. So thank you, Peter, so much. And we're going to bring you back on the show in a couple of weeks' time to chat about supplements and supplements that actually have research and evidence behind it. So listeners, stay tuned. Um, if you loved um, Peter, leave us a review and let us know because she will be coming back on the podcast to share all of her wisdom. But thank you so much for joining us today on the show. That's okay. I really hope it helped clarify expectations with muscle mass gain, but it's a, I love it. <laughs> Absolutely. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Thanks.